Welcome to our podcast, Fear Less, Do More. Here we're going to take a deep dive into the minds of some really daring, impactful change makers. I'm your host, Jill Hunter, and I'm the managing partner at Square One Law. In each episode, we're going to meet some innovators, some trailblazers, and we're going to talk about their successes, their fears, their challenges, and their lived experiences. We're going to understand their secrets to their resilience and their source of their passion so that we can understand what drives them to achieve. These are all leaders who inspire us to step out of our own comfort zones and fear less, do more. Welcome back to this episode of our podcast, Fear Less, Do More. And today I have somebody with me who really has had a fearless journey. I have John McCabe, who is the Chief Executive of the North East of England Chamber of Commerce. Hi, John. Hi, Jill. Great Thank to you see very you. much. Yeah, you too. Thanks for coming in to have a chat Thank today. Um, John, you have had a fearless journey and it's probably one that a lot of people don't know the full detail of. So you started life in the corporate world. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Whereabouts was that? So all the way back to the very beginning at Northumbria Water. Um, I did about five years working in their corporate affairs department, which was the posh new term for the for the PR department. Um, I started there really as, as pretty much a, what we'd recognise now to be an apprentice, um, and I had a great time there. And then sort of just moved up. Uh, a, a career plan from there, but but without any, without having a kind of predetermined plan as to what next and all the rest of it, I've never never really stuck to a career plan, which is probably just as well because it would have gone out the window <laughs> years ago. And you made your first sort of fearless step um, when you left the corporate world and the safety and security that that provides for people, and decided to set up your own business in PR. So where did that come from? Yeah, that was that was really out of necessity rather than any great desire to run my own business. Do you know, I, I'd always had huge admiration for anybody who who you know has taken that step and, and set themselves up in business. But as I said, I had a long corporate career, Northumbria Water, and then into the utilities, uh, elsewhere in the utilities sector, um, into financial services. And then my last, I still describe it as my last proper job. I was a corporate affairs director at Alcan, uh, the um, multinational uh, energy and aluminium manufacturing company. Um, I was corporate affairs director there. Joined there in January 2002, and I remember when I got the job towards the end of 2001. Friends telling me that's going to close next year. Why? Why are you doing? Why are you doing that? <laughs> and I said, Well, that's why they've created this job. This job is about sort of lobbying um, the British government, lobbying the European Commission and others to try and sort of create a, a legislative framework that would allow us to continue. So um, we got about 12 years out of it. So I got longer than the 12 months that a lot of friends thought I was going to get. <laughs> Um, and then by then, Alcan had been bought out by another big uh, multinational business, and they just decided that the UK wasn't for them. So they got into a process of, of kind of shutting all of their operations mm. across the UK. So unfortunately, many hundreds of, of really great people um, were made redundant, um, and, and I ultimately was one of them. I, I um, yeah, kind of almost made myself redundant. So my plan then, for what it was worth, was just I'll do 12 months of consultancy work, Already had a few people saying to me, "Look, when the time comes, when you know, when the time's up at Alcan, you know, we'll we'll give you some consultancy work. Do that for twelve months, then get another proper job." And about nine and a half years later, the, the proper job came up with the chamber. Uh, but in between, as as you said, I set myself up in what was initially a, a sort of a PR business, which kind of took me back to what what I started out in all those years ago. But but increasingly, my role in that became a, again around more of the sort of public affairs type work. 
Um, so by now the business is growing. I've got staff, which was fantastic, premises. Um, but when the chamber job came up, I knew it was I knew it was the one for me. But going from that big corporate environment to running your own business must have been a bit of a shock to the system. Completely, yeah. Because as I said, I'd never never had any aspiration to, to run mm. my own business. Huge admiration for anybody who did, but you know, really enjoyed. I think the security of having a, a team around me and support behind me. Yeah. Mm. So all of a sudden, when it's you and it's your business, if the printer doesn't work, you better fix the printer, and that's yep. not one of my strengths. <laughs> um, so, um, but as I said, it was more out of necessity than anything else. But but on reflection, I can look back on it and think, really enjoyed it. It was really tough, um, but but got a lot out of it. Really thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm, I'm pleased to say that business, although I'm, I'm no longer involved in it. Is, is just going from strength to strength under new ownership, great team still in place. So that's really satisfying. Would you do it again? Well, I hope not because, uh, <laughs> because again, not without there being a plan. Um, yeah. I, I, I hope I'm in the job that I'm in mm. for, for a very long time because I, I, I genuinely love what I do. It's a, it's a privilege to, to be in this job at the Chamber of Commerce. So, uh, so no, if, again, there isn't a plan, but, but if, if I'm out doing my own thing again in 12 months time or whatever, that probably means whatever plan there was has gone wrong <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> and if you had to start a, a, another business, what sort of business would you start? I, I, I suppose my, my comfort zone would be around starting something that enables me to work with lots of other mm. businesses and organisations and just trying to support them, trying to help them in, in, in some way. So whether that's with you know, some advocacy work, some, some communications type work, some business development work, that would be, that would be my, my comfort zone. Um, I, I've, I've long thought, I kind of, for all I've said a couple of times, I don't have a, a career plan. I have obviously thought about this over the years because I've often thought as well in the past that I don't want my final job to be my biggest job. Right. And the thought of kind of just stepping back and just doing something that I've never done before. Um, but again, in a sort of environment that sees you sort of just working with people, working mm. around people and, and hopefully helping people in some way. So I don't know, a hospital porter or something like that. That okay. would really appeal as my sort of final job. But 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 um, hopefully we're still somewhere off that yet. Well, I think the NHS are, are pretty uh, <laughs> needing of, of, of staff at all levels at the moment. So, you know, I'm sure they'd, be, they'd welcome you with open arms. Um, you know, you talked about how you moved from having your own business and then um, to the chamber. But, the, but there was a little bit of a, a career break yeah, there was a blip. in the yeah. middle there um, where you took what was an enormously uh, fearless step, which was to drag everything in to stand... <laughs> Um, for mayor for North Tyneside when the combined authority was set up. Mm-hmm. Um, why on earth did you decide to do that? I often ask myself that, <laughs> and, I, and I did at the time. Um, I guess the history to that is when, when I set my business up, one of the, genuinely one of the first things I did is I joined the chamber because I just, again, saw that value being mm. around a network of, of, of other people with similar sort of shared experiences. So I joined the chamber, and then not long after that, the chamber asked me to get involved in their Northumberland committee and then chair the Northumberland committee. Mm. And then you know, a couple of years later, I was given the enormous privilege of becoming chamber president, which I just never in a million years imagined that that would be, be on the horizon for me. And it was at that period when we were negotiating the original devolution deal. Um, and so therefore as chamber president, I was often required to speak about it, comment on it, mm. got involved in some of the meetings around, very much on the periphery of the negotiation, but, but, but you know, involved in some of the meetings around it. And I sort of understood what the devolution process was and what the opportunity of it was. And, and I was therefore genuinely really enthusiastic and passionate about it. 
And during that period, therefore, people would just start coming up to me in meetings, at the end of meetings, at functions and things, and say, are you going to think about running? Or would you? And I was like, absolutely not. You know, for years, <laughs> I've worked in and around politics and politicians. I thought I understood the system and what motivates politicians. Um, but no, I will leave that to them. You know, I'll be, I'll be in the, sort of the engine room somewhere, but I will leave that to them. And then that just kind of ramped up. We got into 2019, which is the year that the election was held. And my, I'll never forget, but my wife and I, were, she's, my wife's a teacher. We were away on February half term on a little break. And by the time I got back, we were getting really close to the kind of the deadline for candidates declaring. And we just had more people who were coming forward saying, we'd like you to run. How do you feel about it? Will you go for it? And it got to the point where I had to say to, 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 to Kate, my wife, look, these are, these are people I really like and respect and have a high regard for. I've got to take this seriously. We've almost laughed it off so far. Yeah. I've got to take this seriously now. So I then started to reach out to one or two other people in my network, people who, I, again, had a very high regard for, but people who I knew would tell me straight. They wouldn't just mm. sugarcoat it or tell me what they thought I wanted to hear. Um, and if it was going to be an absolute disaster, they would tell me it would be an absolute disaster and you know, I'd make my own decision from there. So eventually, um, with a lot of encouragement from outside and another probably two or three weeks of talking about it at home where one minute I'd be up for it and Kate would be kind of, no, let's not, you know, this is, you've got the business, it's all going well, let's just you know, stick with that. And then, and then I would think, no, back into the comfort zone and Kate would be like, well, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity, why not go for it? And eventually we settled on, yeah, let's go for it. So, um, so yeah, we went for it and um, it was really hard. I th- as I said, I thought I understood politics and the process and the, I had no idea. Um, <laughs> I mean, we were just so incredibly, I guess, naive around, around the, the, the campaigning element. So, mm. you know, on day one, I had a, a volunteer team around me who were absolutely brilliant, just really dedicated, committed, committed people, but none of whom had ever run a, or been involved in a political campaign before. And I was obviously a first-time candidate, so I had never done this sort of thing before. And the stuff that we learned, just basic stuff, I mean, I'll give you one, one quick example. We, we managed to raise enough money to get a leaflet printed. Because again, we had no money coming into the campaign. We didn't have a big party machine behind us funding the campaign. So we raised some, some money to get a leaflet printed. One double-sided A4 leaflet. We never thought that actually, for when people are out there putting leaflets through letterboxes, you get them folded. So the first thing we had to do when we got 80,000 leaflets delivered was fold 80,000 leaflets. And that just kind of blistered hands. And then you learn sort of things about, you know, if you're stuffing stuff through, you're out all day putting stuff through people's letterboxes, you're going to cut your hands to ribbons eventually. So you take a wooden spoon, you take a kitchen wooden spoon. A wooden spoon? A wooden spoon. And that's how you put leaflets Ah, through. through. So all this stuff that we had no idea about, but obviously experienced candidates from, from parties kind of get this. And it's just... You know, and I've, I've joked with some of the candidates since, and they're like, "Really? You didn't? You didn't know that?" I was like, "No." I have no idea <laughs> well, why would so, you? Why would you? You come yeah. from business and the chamber of commerce. It's yeah, not yeah. the sort of place where you are pushing leaflets through doors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. With or without a wooden spoon. Yeah. yeah, yeah so. <laughs> and then obviously, it, it didn't. It didn't end well because you you didn't. You weren't successful. You were defeated. Um, how did that? How did you feel about that? So we. I mean, we we. Got, we got 30 odd thousand first preference votes, which in a, whatever it was, from me declaring to election day, I think it was a seven week campaign. And as I say, on day one, no money in the mm. campaign bank account. Well, we didn't have a bank, campaign bank account, we had to mm. set one up. Um, and, and a very willing, but totally inexperienced campaign team behind it. So I think in seven weeks, to go from kind of nothing to 30 odd thousand first preference votes, because it was a system of proportional representation where people got two votes, first and second preferences. Mm. 
and I got tens of thousands more second preference votes. In fact, I, ha I don't know how true this is, but I have heard anecdotally from people who were sort of involved in the count that I actually got more crosses against my name than any other candidate, but too many of mine were second preferences rather than first. So, yeah. Um, so, no, we obviously didn't win, but I think, you know, it, I hope we didn't embarrass ourselves either. 30 odd thousand votes would suggest, suggest we didn't. But genuinely, having gone into it quite reluctantly, by the time we were sort of into the campaign, I can't tell I really wanted to win it and and by the end was 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 really quite affected by by not winning it. Mm. And it and it took me a little while to sort of get past that but but you know um again having the opportunity I've got now in the chamber it allows me to sort of okay you know I'm, I'm not mayor I never want to be mayor um but hopefully I can work with whoever is holding that office at any one time to try and deliver great results for the for the northeast. So how do you how do you sort of pick yourself up from that? Uh, and did and did your experience in business help with that in any way? Um, I think I think in terms of picking myself up from it, a lot of it was again support network. So a lot of really kind people in my immediate network, obviously sort of family and close friends, but then my sort of wider network of people I know in in, in business and in, in other sort of sectors. Um, just reached out and just just you know just reminded me that actually that was a great result you know and all things considered that was an, an astonishingly good result mm. so there I was thinking I didn't win it was as black and white as that I didn't win therefore I lost yeah um, and so many people said to me look it's it's not it's not about that you talked about things in the campaign that might not have been talked about otherwise things that have subsequently been picked up by by um, by others who are in elected office now um, so okay, not a win, but 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 not I think unsuccessful in that respect either. So a lot of a lot of it was just kind of people reminding me of that that you know just just think beyond your own sort of thoughts on this that it's it's not a win, but it's it wasn't it, it you know it wasn't a, a loss as such either. Um, and then yeah, I think I think inevitably things that you pick up throughout your career um, hopefully kind of go into a toolkit somewhere so that when you are up against a challenging situation or a difficult time in your life, you can you can kind of draw on something to, to help get you through it. And one of the things I've always admired about you, John, is that you've talked very openly about some of the mental health struggles that you've had. Mm -hmm. And that's quite rare uh, still, um, unnecessarily so in my view, for, for, for men to talk about those sorts of challenges and mental health issues. Why, why is it important to you? Again, I go back to when I was when I was first given the opportunity to become chamber president. One of the things that, that the chamber had done with previous presidents is said to them, "Look, you've, you're going to hold this office for two years. We are going to ask a fair bit of you, you know, to rock up at this event, speak at that event, go and have a you know, do a media interview on this or whatever. Um, and therefore, you should be in a, you, sh you should have the space and the capacity to sort of almost apply a theme to your 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 tenure as uh, as president. And, and pre predecessors had done training." skills, apprenticeships was a big one for one of my immediate predecessors. And I said, mental health, mental health in the workplace, because for exactly that reason, we, we don't talk enough about it. And it was something that I had some experience of myself. Um, and I said, you know, I realize that's not gonna be kind of, you know, core to the chamber's message as it was then. Um, but that's, if I'm gonna do this, if I'm gonna have a platform, if I'm gonna have a voice, I really feel that's what I wanna talk about. And the chamber just embraced it, they just said, that's perfect. That's exactly what we should be talking about. And, you know, they, they kind of mobilized a team around it and put some tools and resources in place so that when I was talking about stuff, 
members could then tap into some resources to try and sort of provide them with some support. So it was something that the Chamber just really, really embraced. And again, I was just, having done it, it was a bit kind of, oh my goodness, how is this going to go down? Um, and I did have people say to me, we had no idea. Mm. Um, why would they? Why would they? Um, uh, but it was something I never regretted. It was something that I've, I've, I felt was, was a, the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you're in a leadership position, being able to show vulnerability and be able to show that you don't have all the answers and you're not this, you know, you know, obviously resilient person who's at this brick wall that everybody else can bounce off. I think it's enormously important that we see that in our leaders and that that vulnerability is embraced by more people. Because if you do that, then your people trust you more. They know, well, John, you know, I've got a mental health issue, but I'm frightened to talk about it at work, but I know I can talk to John because he's been there and he's been open about that. And I, I think that's incredibly valuable for, for your for your team as well. Well, I hope so. Thanks, Jill. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. I just think we've just got so many barriers in life, and you know, yeah. I've spoken about this so many times before. We've just got so many barriers that are put in front of good people who've got so much to offer in, in, in society that the more we can do to kind of just, just lower those barriers and just make it that just a little bit easier for them to then get on and do their great stuff, that seems to me to be a good thing to do. And in your role now, um, you are affecting quite a bit of change within the, the, the chamber in the, in the northeast. Um, I've certainly observed, you know, change since you've come on there's a feeling of modernization and energizing energization i'm not even sure whether that's a word um <laughs> we'll take it um of your team you know around new passions and new things that they're di discovering and um i think some of the work that the chamber's doing is really exciting in this region and, and beyond how are you how are you finding the the role i'm loving it i i, I mean I, I'm, as i said you know right at the very beginning that when i first had a an influence on whether or not to join the chambers. In other words, it, it, with it being my own business, I did it because I, I saw that there was a, a benefit in being just part of something bigger. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm really fortunate to have a brilliant team of people around me, deeply committed to the chamber and what we're trying to achieve on behalf of the region and working with the region, working with other key partners in the region as well. Um, so I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely loving it. And it, it, yeah, it, it, you know, undoubtedly we are doing slightly different things, talking about slightly different things. But the chamber has done that throughout its two hundred odd year history. You know, my 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 immediate predecessor in the role, James, he, he was in the role for fifteen years, and the chamber probably looked by the end of his time in the job very very different to what it looked like when he went into it, and that was and and it, and it's already looking a little bit different to what it was when when even when I started. Um, so that just means that we're just constantly evolving and const and hopefully therefore keeping up with the times, keeping ahead of the times where we can. Um, and so, yes, that's just an ongoing work in progress. Yeah. And what sort of role will the chamber be playing in the in the devolution process? Because it may, you know, probably the the most fundamental change to the way that we are funded and governed in the in in, in recent times. Yeah, it's it's a great opportunity you know, for us in, in in our chamber's mm. patch. We've actually already got two really well established devolution deals. So our, our, we are a regional chamber mm. from the Scottish borders down to the North Yorkshire border. So. We've got a fairly well-established, matured devolution deal down on, on, on Tees Valley. Um, we've got the, the existing North of Tyne deal, albeit that is that is a little bit more more limited in in, in scope and and um, uh, an impact. But the new deal for the for the that wider northeast is a really really exciting opportunity for us. And, and one of the things that I'm really keen to do as a as a regional body is get those two devolution deals as, as they'll be then working really closely and well together because that'll be the first time that we've had 
devolution in the northeast, as, as you and I would probably recognise, as Scottish borders, North Yorkshire, mm. and everything in between, where we've had two devolution deals that are actually that share a border. You know, so at the minute we we don't have that, and therefore I'm I'm really keen that while it's a great thing that Tees Valley has a devolution deal, it's a great thing that the rest of the northeast has a devolution deal. As a regional body, I want those two two organisations working really closely together, and hopefully that's where because we we have that regional presence, we can hopefully help help achieve that. You know, your time in the chamber, I've seen you know, lots of activity on LinkedIn and things that you've been doing. There must be some moments that you've had over the past few months where you thought, I can't believe I'm... How did that happen? Yeah, how did that happen? <laughs> Can you tell me what, what's been your sort of highlight so far? Yeah, it's it's it's, just, it's such a varied job. You mm. know, jobs like this don't come up very often. And that's why when this one did, it was just a complete no-brainer for me to, to want to at least pop a hat in the ring. And, mm. and that's why I was just as chuffed a bit as I was to, to get the job. Um, yeah, bits that weren't in the job description include um, interviewing for a new dean at a cathedral, um, interviewing for a new chief constable of police. <laughs> Didn't expect that. Um, so, so yeah, there's the, there's the bits that you might expect that come with this role, but yeah. there's an awful lot that you think, really? I mean, even I in the role think, really? <laughs> um, and then there's the sort of, there's the slight, still the slight sort of pinch me moments, you know, so... Um, about a few weeks ago, I was in in number eleven to meet with the chancellor for for breakfast, um, which was you know that was great, a great opportunity for us. But as anybody who knows me knows, I'm a, I'm a bit of a sort of a cat enthusiast, and I just love Larry the cat, the Downing Street cat. I love <laughs> his kind of social media presence, and whoever is behind that, because I'm assuming it's not the cat. Whoever is behind that is an absolute genius. And, and when, when we were walking up, got through security at Downing Street, walking up the street, which I'd been up you know, several times before for meetings in number 10, never been in number 11 before. Um, walking up and we were doing the usual sort of photographs outside the, the two main doors and, and all that. And then one of my colleagues who was there said, there's the cat. And it was just, everything stopped. He was like, <laughs> right, I need the selfies with the cat. I need some photographs with the cat. Um, so that was great. So I met Larry and that was a real pinch. Meeting the chancellor was just kind of part of the job. You expect yeah, that. Yeah, but meeting yeah. the cat was, was special, yeah. That's good. That's that's obviously going to be the trailer for this, you know, career highlights, meeting the Larry cat. Larry the cat. Yeah, yeah, Larry the cat. That's great. That's great. I've never I've never put anything on social media that got as much traction as that. It went <laughs> viral. I mean, it was just everywhere. Yeah, so. <laughs> so, John, that has been a pretty fearless journey, and we. I mean, there are all sorts of other things that you do. I've you know I've discovered recently that you're an enthusiastic runner. Who um, I've discovered that you're you're a trustee of the Princess Trust. Um, what what else what else is to come? What are you going to do more of in the future? This is you know this podcast is fearless. Do more. What would you what would you like to do more of in the future? Um, well, more of all of that. I mean, I'm, I, I am a, a, a very committed runner, but but nobody should assume I've got any talent or ability <laughs> in that field whatsoever because I really don't. But I'm, I can just kind of put my trainers on, get out the front door, and just keep going basically. Um, and that's that's what I do. Bit of a Forrest Re- Gump. Is that, yeah. In that respect, yeah. <laughs> Perhaps not in all, but in that respect, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I, I love that. And there's still challenges I want to take on. I mean, I've, I've never run a marathon, done lots and lots of half marathons, to how many sort of miles I've clocked up over the years, but I've never run a marathon. There's still a part of me, even at sort of heading towards my middle 50s uh, now, I guess, thinking that's that's a that's a, an itch I need to scratch. I need to do that at some point. So that's that's definitely on the list. Um, there's so much more to do in this job. 
you know, as I said, this job never stops, but nor does the chamber, nor should the chamber ever stand still mm. because the, the, the business community in the region that we represent doesn't stand still. So we've got to look and sound like that, that community. So lots, lots more to do in this job. Um, I really love the work that, of the Prince's Trust. So it's a, it's a pleasure to be involved in that. That's all about supporting young people into enterprise or education. Um, or, or entrepreneurship and just seeing some of the some of the incredible businesses that that young people who've come through the, the Prince's Trust doors down the years have gone into it's it's just phenomenal I mean they, they just really just inspire massively so lot, lots more to do there um, also want to take a bit of time, I want to do a bit more traveling we you know, I've, I've sort of we've got three children they're all sort of older now and aren't necessarily booked onto the next holiday with us so um, so looking forward to doing a lot of traveling going forward but um, I'm just in a very privileged position. I love where I live. I love where I work. Um, I've got a great sort of family around me, great friends around me. So just more of the same would be nice. I'll take that. Well, I think that's quite a nice place to end. More of the same um, and more Larry the Cat. So. Definitely. Definitely <laughs> Thanks ever so much for taking the time to, to chat with me today. Pleasure, Jill. Thanks, Thanks. for talking to me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fear Less, Do More. All of our guests come from a diverse range of backgrounds, but they all share a common drive to face their fears, take action and create meaningful impact. If you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast, please follow us at Square One Law on Instagram and LinkedIn and share the content with your friends, family and networks. Thank you and see you again on our next episode.